Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Noah got drunk. Ruth was a foreigner. David, he had an affair. Peter had a temper. Martha was a worrier. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon was insecure. Mary was a teenager. Lazarus was dead. God worked through these people despite their faults. Despite what other people viewed as limitations. God's power works best in weakness. His grace is all we need. So when someone asks, God used who? You can answer, God used me. Well, good morning. So glad you're here. Thanks for joining us again this week. And we're towards the end of our series, God Used Who, where we're asking, okay, God, can you use me? I mean, look at who you've used in Scripture. But here's what tends to happen is we say, God, you, you shouldn't or you probably couldn't use me because, and then we have a fill in the blank. You know, for whatever that might be, you know, our, our past, our history, things we've done, things we've said, you know, whatever that might be, God, you can't or you probably shouldn't use me because, and we fill in the blank. And, and for many of us, what we look to is our past. We look to those, those wounds, those scars that we've, we've still been carrying with us. I mean, God, I mean, there's no way you can use me because, man, look, look at how I am now. I've, I'm, I'm ruined or, man, I'm just so beat up. What I'm hoping happens this morning is through what we're going to look at in God's Word, that all of those excuses would just melt away. All those excuses would just melt away. Because we're going to look at a guy in Scripture all the way back in Genesis where he had, and God still used him because of this, he had some wounds moving forward. He had some struggles that God still worked through and with him on. And he came out of that whole struggle, as we're going to see, with a pretty big limp. And, and if you had a limp or if you were to see me walk up on stage and if I had crutches, you would probably ask me two things. The first one would be, Brian, are you? Okay, um, I appreciate the sentiment. I appreciate the fact that you want to know if I'm all right. Yes, that's what we want to know. When you see somebody that has a cast on, somebody that's on crutches, something we're like, whoa, something's happened. Obviously, you were injured. You got hurt. The first thing we hopefully ask is, man, are you okay? And then the very next question, probably before we actually find out if they're okay, is what? What happened? Are you okay? And what happened? And that's what I want us to ask with him. Jacob, who walks through with a limp, I want us to ask, well, what happened? We don't really care if he's okay. He's fine. Don't worry. But what happened? What was it that, that gave him that wound? And more importantly, how was God able to use him regardless? So if you've got your Bible, we're going to be, like I said, in Genesis, Genesis chapter 32. And we're going to start right at, kind of like in the middle, at verse 22. So as you're turning there, if you got a Bible, or if you can't see your Bible because it's so dark in here, guess what? I'll put them on the screen for you. But let me give you some background. So, because we're jumping into Jacob's life, like mid-life, like mid-story. And what's happened prior to that is Jacob has an older brother. Anybody know his name? Esau. So Jacob has an older brother, Esau. And Esau, being the firstborn, should have had, you know, the first birthright and an inheritance and all this stuff. But Jacob deceived his father and basically stole his older brother's birthright and inheritance away. And Jacob is a manipulator, he is a liar, he is a con artist, he is a deceiver, a thief, and the list goes on and on and on. That's who he, who he was. And where we pick it up now is he is getting ready 
to meet his older brother afterwards. So he has stolen his, inherit, his older brother's inheritance. His older brother, as you can imagine, is very upset about that event. And so he has vowed, if I ever see Jacob, my younger brother again, I'm going to kill him. So Jacob fled and has been fleeing for quite a while, and he's run into some other struggles along the way. But finally, those two are about to meet. And so Jacob, we're going to pick up the story where Jacob, the night before he's to meet his older brother Esau, of course he's terrified. He knows the, the threat that Esau made years before and has no reason to think that that threat has gone away. So he's wondering, is this going to be my last night? I'm going to meet Esau tomorrow. Is this going to be my last night? He's afraid. He's stressed, of course, uh, full of anxiety. And this is where we pick it up. Genesis chapter 32, starting verse 22. That night, again, the night before he's going to meet Esau, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left, and what's that word? Alone. The night before he's to meet Esau. And, and you could just go to imagine the, what's happening on the inside. Just his stomach in knots the night before. And what he does is he sends everything and everyone across the other side of the stream. Now, the reason he does this, this is not a very nice reason. He sends everything and everyone over first, so hopefully that that will pacify his older brother. In other words, maybe he won't kill me because he sees all these other things first. But if he does, at least I'm at the end of the line and I have time to run away. That's basically what he's doing. <laughs> so he sent everything and everyone over the stream first, and he stayed behind. It says that he is left alone, left with no one, left with nothing. Everything that he's worked for and stolen is now across the stream. Everyone that he has developed a relationship along the way is now across the stream, and he has no one and nothing. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us this, but if you put yourself in Jacob's shoes, if you didn't pray, you start praying now. <laughs> God, help me through this. God, make this work out. You know, let me and Esau be able to mend this relationship or at least have him not kill me. You're starting to ask God, man, if there was ever a time to show up, this is when you show up. And you start asking God, or you start making promises. God, if you show yourself now, I promise I'll, and you know, you know how that goes. So he had to have been feeling that, not just the anxiety, but the need for God, I need you to do something. Because he is left alone with nothing and no one. And it's the night before he meets what he might think is his doom. Verse 24, here's what happens next. Here's the answer to his prayers. Not the answer we would probably anticipate. Verse 24, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him, Till daybreak. That's really going to help your evening, wouldn't it? The night before you're to meet your, your older brother who you stole everything from, you're getting ready to meet him, and you have probably been praying, God, help me, God, show yourself to me, and you have a stranger show up that picks a fight with you. And if I'm Jacob, I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. What else could possibly go wrong? I have nothing. I have no one. I might not even survive another day, and I've got this random guy fighting and wrestling with me. But that's what happens says, a man shows up and wrestled with him till when? Till daybreak. All night, he's wrestling with this stranger. Now, I hope you would be asking the question, who in the world is the man that you read in Scripture? It says that uh, he was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Jacob eventually asked that question. I'm kind of curious as to why he didn't ask that at first. But what we see in Scripture is he asked that at the very end of the wrestling match, which we'll see later, but I'll give you a spoiler alert. It's God. God takes on a form as a man, and whether it was an angel, we don't know, but, but God or God's messenger comes in and wrestles with Jacob 
until daybreak. Now, here's what I get out of that. First of all, it's very discouraging. So you ready to be encouraged this morning? Is, man, right when you think it can't get worse and it does, remember that our lives are not intended to be easy. Nowhere in God's word does it say, follow Jesus and everything will work out. Follow Jesus and your life will be a piece of cake. He doesn't give you, you know that staples easy button? You don't get one of those when you get baptized. It's not just click it and everything works out. We like that though. We hope for that. In fact, we fill our lives with all sorts of things that do nothing except help make our life easier. I'll tell you, I had a fail this last, it wasn't a total fail. It was a quasi fail for Mother's Day. Um, it was a quasi fail because my wife knew it going into it at least. So we had, me and the kids, we had, you know, made cards for for Becky and we had gotten her some Mother's Day gifts. And I knew wives, moms, you do this, you plant hints along the way, like months leading up to Mother's Day, don't you? And, and I'm aware of a lot of these, not all of them, but I'm aware of a lot of these. And I was very aware. She, she laid it on thick, so there's no way you could miss this. She laid out these hints several months prior to Mother's Day of what she wanted for Mother's Day. And, and I told her, going into Mother's Day, like the day before, Saturday, I said, when you open your presents, you will not find what you're asking for. I got you something else. But I'm telling you, I'm not getting you that. And what she had been laying the hints for are those robotic uh, vacuum cleaner things, like the little R2-D2s that just go around and clean your house. Do you know what I'm talking about? They're like $1,200 to vacuum. your. I've got three kids. Two of them can vacuum. We're fine. And she had one and went, oh, it would just make things easier. It just does it by itself. And I'm like, Becky, I'm not opposed to having one of those eventually but I'm not ready to just let a robot in my house quite yet. Like, I'm not there. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not old-fashioned enough. As I love my, my devices, but I'm not ready to live with a robot, all right? And, and so she was a little disappointed, but she got it. And I just, we just don't have the money for it either. And she said, well, okay. So if you have a robot vacuum cleaner, you're not allowed to have any conversations with my wife. But we do things like that. We want things that make life easier, that help us get through things in an easier fashion. And we're reminded that life is not intended to be easy. We will go through struggles. Now, I'm not saying every struggle is God wrestling with us. I'm saying some of them are, not every single one of them. But God reminds Jacob that, yeah, you've gotten yourself into a mess. It's not going to get easier. It's going to be difficult. I want you to pay attention, though, to, to when. You're going to wrestle with him till when? Daybreak. In other words, that will end. It's not, and God wrestled with him forever. <laughs> it was, and God wrestled with him till daybreak. So often we get so caught up in the night and the wrestling and the struggles and the difficulties that we go through, and it's hard to see the morning that it's coming. Now, that is a promise we do have. We have a promise that says it's not going to last forever. In fact, Lamentations chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 22 says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. In other words, we are not totally taken out for his compassions never fail. They are new every when? Morning. Great is your faithfulness. Psalm says something very similar. Chapter 30, verse 4. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. That's us. Praise his holy name. Look, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the when? Morning. So we see there's a promise where, yeah, there's going to be difficulties. There's going to be struggles. You're going to go through stuff, but morning is coming. It's promised that you will get through it. Now, is that a promise of a literal one night? Not necessarily. But it is the, the promise that there's hope. There is morning coming. We just recognized earlier this morning our graduates and our student ministry. 
and they're getting ready to launch into all sorts of new, new changes for their schooling and their career and family dynamics change and relationships change. And through that, that's difficult. A lot of students have difficulties throughout that. And it's not because they weren't prepared. It's just that's new. And a lot of studies actually speak to this, this major life change for college students. In fact, uh, the statistics say one-third of U.S. college students have said that they have had difficulty functioning in the last 12 months due to depression. One-third of college students have admitted this, saying, man, I have difficulty just functioning because of depression. Half of college students have said that they have felt overwhelming anxiety just in the last year. So you look at our college students and our soon-to-be college students and say, man, they're getting ready to walk into some, some night times, some difficult struggles, some times of wrestling. And what's hard is many of our students, and unfortunately, just generally speaking, our next generation, they don't see the daybreak. They don't see the daylight or the morning that's coming. The CDC put out this alarming statistic. According to the CDC, Center for Disease Control, which um, it's unfortunate that this has been, uh, been picked up by the CDC, but because it's so large, it has. According to the CDC, suicide is the second leading cause of death for ages 10 to 24. Let that sink in for a moment. Ages 10 to 24. So we're not just talking college students anymore. 10 to 24. The CDC says suicide is the second leading cause of death. They go on to say more teenagers and young adults, that same age group of 10 to 24, die from suicide than from cancer, heart disease, AIDS, birth defects, stroke, pneumonia, influenza, and chronic lung disease combined. Why is that? I don't know everything that these students, these young adults, these college students are dealing with. I mean, we can guess, well, they went through this as a child and they're struggling with this and there's the pressures from that. I mean, there's, we can make a list of the struggles and the problems and the issues. We can make that list. But the real reason that that statistic is, is accurate is because those same students that are going through the struggles don't see the morning coming. That's called no hope. And when you have no hope, it seems there's no way out. Mount Lake Church, I pray that we, as we continue to be a church for our community, that we take this as a mandate saying that's not okay in our community. That it's up to someone, the local church, to say there's hope. There is hope. And yes, we will go through the struggles, and, and yes, there is a time of night of wrestling and struggling and difficulties, but the promise is that morning comes. There's a promise that God won't let us go through that forever. Remember, weeping may last the night, but there's rejoicing in the morning. I know that um, as a believer, we have a lot of promises. Like I said, there is no promise that life is easy. That's not a promise. But we do have a promise that we can endure it, and he will walk through it with us, and that it will be for a, a length of time, not the whole time. But I know that it's going to be difficult, and I know that we can make it through. And I pray that we become a church that starts to help the next generation know that and understand that, and more so, take it to heart. Yes, you'll go through things, but no, it's not the end because morning's coming. But Jacob struggled with that. He's wrestling with God, doesn't know it's God yet, but he's wrestling with God all the way through the night, all the way to daybreak, and God's ready to say, hey, we struggled, we wrestled, and this is going to be good for you, but look at what Jacob does and doesn't do. Verse 25, when the man, and that's referring to God, 
when the man saw that he could not over, overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched, that would be dislocated, wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is, and what's that word again? Daybreak. It's morning. Hey, we've wrestled, we've struggled. Man, it's time to, to walk through this. It's time to move on. But what's happened here is Jacob isn't giving up. Now we might think, wow, go Jacob, man. You're resilient. You're going to endure. You're strong. He's also stubborn and it's going to cost him. Yes, we should struggle and we should struggle at times and even struggle with God. He invites us to do that, to struggle with him. He's God. He can take it. To struggle through the night, but there comes a point where you say, okay, God, your way, not mine. And when Jacob refused to let God win, when Jacob refused to, to let go, that turned from, from just struggling. Now it's being stubborn. And God said, let go. And Jacob said, no. So God said, well, I'll make you. And he touched his hip and dislocated his hip. And understand that, I mean, if we're smart, one of the things we need to begin to realize is God's going to win. So the smart thing to do was to let him win, to submit to him sooner rather than later because he's going to win every single time. And for many of us, hard lesson learned, it's going to take dislocating our hip to get us to pay attention to that. That's what, that's what God has to do with Jacob. He says, oh, no, no, I, I told you you're going to tap out. Jacob says, no, I'm not tapping out. Oh, no, you're going to tap out. Watch this. And he just touches his hip and his hip, his hip dislocates. So right there, we understand Jacob, yes, it's good to struggle, but don't struggle so long that it turns into stubbornness. Next verse, verse 27. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. He still doesn't know who this is, and here's what gives it away. But he replied, why do you ask my name? In other words, I really need to tell you, I think we know who I am, right? And at that point, Jacob gets it. He replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. There's a name change. So now Jacob alone has nothing and no one is wrestling with what he thinks is a stranger, but is going to turn out to be God. And in the midst of this struggle and even the stubbornness, and now he has a dislocated hip because of his stubbornness. Now he's trying to get some information. Well, who are you? And trying to figure it out, but the man, God, says, well, I'm going to change your name. And he goes from Jacob to Israel. Now, Jacob literally means grabber, and that would be translated like deceiver, which is exactly what Jacob has been. He has lived up to his name. Remember, deceiver, con artist, manipulator, liar, thief, all of those things, that has been who Jacob has been. And God said, not anymore. That's who you were. You're going to go from Jacob, and now I'm going to name you Israel. And Israel literally means striving with God. Or other translations would even say that it's victory or triumph with God. So those are worlds apart, not just in names, but of, of the core of Jacob, now Israel. The core of who he was, was a deceiver. And now because he struggled with God, he's changed. Not just a name change, but a life change. His, his core has changed. Who he is has changed. So not just being a deceiver anymore, but striving with God, having victory and triumph with God. Now, I want you to go back and pay attention to the why God changed his name. Go back to verse 28. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, the deceiver, but Israel. Here's why. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have what? Overcome. This name change, this is important. 
this name change has very little to do with what Jacob struggled with. It says that he struggled with God and with humans. And if you read this, the, the earlier parts of Jacob's story, you will see that. It was a constant struggle. But God said, I'm not changing your name because of your past. You're not defined by your past. You're not defined by your struggles or your hardships or your, your difficulties, your testings or your trials. No, you are not defined by that any longer. Instead, I will define you by the fact that you have overcome. That's what Israel really means. You struggle with God and with people. A lot of people, Jacob. But no more. You're changed. And it's because you've overcome the struggles. So often we are, are held back by our past and by our struggles. Well, I've gone through this and I've dealt with this and I'm, I've messed up because of that and I'm ruined because of that. No, we're not defined by that. If we have walked through it and we have overcome it, that's what defines us. That's what God is saying here. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome, that's why I'm changing your name. Then notice what happens after that. Then he blesses him. The blessing comes a lot later, though, doesn't it? He goes through this name change, and, and Jacob, now Israel, is recognizing, oh, this is God. Oh, <laughs> this is God. He recognizes it. And he understands what God is doing, saying, hey, I'm no longer looking at your past. I'm saying, hey, you're stronger for it. You've grown because of it. Look at who I'm developing you into. That's how I'm going to define you. That's why I'm going to change your name to Israel from Jacob. Because of that change, and it goes back to that verse 28, because you have overcome, and then later he gets blessed. So often we like those reverse, don't we? We want, God, bless me to help me through the struggle. That doesn't happen usually, <laughs> very rarely, and we don't see it here either. No, he struggled, a life of struggling to the point where he was literally struggling, wrestling hand-in-hand, toe-to-toe with God. And through that struggle, through that struggle, then we saw the blessing, then we see the life change. Very last part of it, then he blessed him there. After the struggle, also after he got his hip dislocated, then he got the blessing. It was not the blessing so that he could get through it. It was the blessing that he went through it. Two totally different ways at looking at it. Verse 30. So Jacob called the places after he recognized, kind of like, oh, I, you're God. And I wrestled with you. and I'm still alive. He recognizes that it's kind of a big aha moment for him. Verse 30. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. He recognizes how, how incredible that is. Verse 31, the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Limping. Now, do, go back and look. He, that, that name Peniel, what he names it there, literally means God's face, face of God. And so he not just recognizes that I was wrestling with God. He recognized I wrestled with God, and I lived to tell the tale. I've got a limp because of it, but I lived through it. I overcame it. I survived it even though he didn't recognize. It's at the end of the story he recognizes that he was actually wrestling with God. Now, let me make a suggestion here. You've got to make this a general statement. I'm not saying that every time you're wrestling, it's with God. But I do think sometimes that we're wrestling, some of our struggles are a struggling and wrestling. There's tension between us and God. But here's the incredible thing. When we wrestle with God, we're never closer to God. When we wrestle with God, we are literally face-to-face with God. We are hand-to-hand, toe-to-toe, wrestling, interacting, engaging with God. 
Jacob, even though he doesn't recognize it's God, he has never been closer to God than this moment when he's wrestling with him. So as you start to think, man, what am I wrestling with in my life? What struggles am I walking through? What difficulties am I facing? I'm not saying all of those are God and from God. Some of them are our consequences. Some of those are just, hey, it's life and we live in a sinful world. But I do think time, there are times where God walks into our picture very, in a very real way and says, we're going to fight over this. Because keep in mind, our comfort is not his priority. Us growing closer to him and more in proximity to him is. And so for Jacob, that's what it took. Jacob had just gotten farther and farther away from God, and God realized hey, there's nothing else that's going to get him close to me other than I, I'm just going to have to fist fight him for a little bit. <laughs> We're going to have to duke it out for a night. If that's what it takes to get him close to me, I'll do it. So some of the struggles that we face and some of the times that we're wrestling, it's God saying, I just want to be close with you. And if we have to fight over this, let's fight over it. Because at least you're right there with me. We are never closer to God than when we wrestle with him. And that's what Jacob is finally experiencing. And he finally realizes it. Oh, I'm in the presence of God. I saw God face to face and I lived. He lived, but he also was wounded, wasn't he? Before he even knew it was God, he was, remember, all stubborn and wouldn't let go. It says that God touched his, his hip and it wrenched or it dislocated his hip. Now he's got a limp. It says that he walked away. Last part of this, the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. You think through, Jacob had an incredible life change moment, even a, cha- a name change moment, but he's still limping because of it. You might have heard the phrase, never trust somebody that doesn't walk with a limp. And what that really means is don't trust somebody that's never gone through stuff. Don't go, don't, don't just trust advice from somebody that hasn't actually experienced the struggles and the difficulties and it has had to wrestle and has the wounds to prove it, has the limp to prove it. Had an old mentor say, if you don't have a limp yet, just wait. You haven't struggled long, you haven't struggled long enough yet. <laughs> that, was, that was Jacob. He hadn't struggled long enough. He had struggled a lot, but it took the moment where God wrenched his hip to say, hey, here's who I am. Here's who I want you to be. And that's what it took. For those of you that would say, man, I've got the scars of a past. And those can become a badge of life change. Just like Jacob, He walked away with a hip, with a limp from his hip. And everywhere that he walked with that limp, it was a reminder for him and a story to tell. It was a reminder for him to say, man, that's the past that I've walked through. That was the struggle I've walked through. And, and people would, of course, ask, man, are you okay? What happened to you? Well, let me tell you. It was a really late night, and God showed up and beat me up. And that was a great conversation on helping people come to know who Jesus was, right? No. But it's a story to tell, but it's a reminder also of, man, I struggled, but I overcame it. The limp for Jacob is proof that he lived through it. It's a reminder that we do overcome it. I, I would guarantee that any time Jacob, now called Israel, any time he faced another difficulty, another struggle, his hip probably starts to hurt, and he's thinking, I've been through worse. I wrestled with God and walked out. Whatever difficulty I'm facing now, I can overcome it. Because God changed my name. Because I struggled with humans, I struggled with God, and I've overcome. Whatever scar, whatever wound, whatever limp you're dealing with and you carry, it's a reminder that you can overcome, and it's a story for you to tell. That God will continue to use you no matter what. Jacob walked away. He survived. He walked away blessed also wounded. We love to walk away blessed. We don't like to walk away wounded so much. But Jacob had both. And as we walk through our struggles, 
we will continue to have both as well. We will walk away. We will survive them. We can overcome them. But we'll walk away wounded, but we will also walk away blessed. One last thing I want you to see through this, and this is the most important aspect of Jacob's life change, from Jacob to Israel, from far from God to wrestling with God and now growing closer to God. I want to show you a couple verses of what Jacob had said to God because he prayed to God. He had some kind of a relationship with God. I want you to see how he interacted with God before he wrestled with God. So chapter 31, still in Genesis, verse 42, Jacob says, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, Isaac was his dad, had not been with me, and he goes on to, to give a prayer. But notice how he talks about God. If the God of my father and the God of Abraham, Abraham would have been his grandfather. Then one chapter later, chapter 32, verse 9, right before he wrestles with God, he prays again. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father, of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac. Now what's, what's the similarities in how he interacted with God? The God of who? His father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. He never once said, my God or, or, or the God of, of me and who I worship. No, it was all the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of my father, the God of my grandfather. And then in, in chapter 32, what we just walked through was he wrestled with God, the God of his father, the God of his grandfather. And then I want you to see what happens next. Chapter 33, right after he limps away from his wrestling match with God, he limps out to meet Esau, and God does a miracle in those two brothers' lives. Nobody kills each other. They work things out. It wouldn't totally be the way things were, but that's not how restoration and reconciliation work. But nobody died. And as he's limping away from his meeting with Esau, here's what we see. It's one verse. Genesis 33, verse 20. Here's what Jacob, now Israel, does. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. El Elohi Israel. Literally, here's what that means. The mighty God of Israel. The God of my father, the God of my grandfather. I went face to face and toe to toe with God and I wrestled with him. And he comes out of that. The mighty God of Israel. My mighty God. Church, we have to go through the struggles to finally own our faith. Many of you may be sitting here and it's still the God of my father, the God of my family, the God of my wife, the God of my kids. And we go through this to get to a point where we say, no, he's my God. Personally, individually. Don't make the mistake. I mean, Jacob knew God. He was talking to God earlier. But he never owned his relationship. It's his own. And that's what wrestling with God does. That's what wrestling with struggles do. Wrestling helps us own our faith. So I'm... I'm not going to pray that your, your struggles just disappear. I'm going to pray that you will continue to walk through them like Jacob did and wrestle with God. Maybe let God win and submit a little sooner so you don't have a dislocated hip like he did. But get to a point where you're like, no, I am close to God when I'm wrestling with him. And you get to a place where you say, the mighty God of Israel, my mighty God. Wrestle with him. Make your faith your own. One last verse I want to leave you with. It's a promise that Jesus gives, Jesus gives us. It says in chapter 16 out of the Gospel of John, verse 33, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Because in this world you will have what, Mountain Lake? Trouble. Oh, I know it's a joyful word to say, but 
but say it real loud. In this world, Jesus says, you will have trouble. Trouble. There's a promise there. You will, not you might or will it depend. No, you, every single one of you sitting in here and everyone outside of these walls, you will have trouble. But take heart. For I am overcoming the world. Not in the gospel gospel is not an easy life. The gospel is that Jesus has conquered the grave and has conquered sin. And when we invite him into our life, guess what? We become conquerors as well. That when the Holy Spirit moves in, we can make it. We can conquer. And we'll live in eternity with him forever. That's the good news. The greatest news ever told. So where are you? Are you, are you far from God and, and God's getting ready to show up some night and wrestle with you? <laughs> do you need to wrestle with him? Do you need to duke it out? Again, the closer, the more we wrestle, the closer we are with God. You need to wrestle with him. Maybe you've been wrestling so long, it's turning from struggle to stubborn, and you need to just say, okay, God, you win. You win. Or maybe you've walked away from some struggles, and you've got the wounds to prove it. Let them be a reminder and a story to tell. That's part of your life change story. Don't apologize for it. Say, I'm new because look, look what God did in my life. I was, and then God, and now I am. And I still limp around. But he's my mighty God. My hope and my prayer is that we would walk through our struggles and our difficulties the way Jacob did. Wrestle with God. Make our faith our own. And allow God to continue to use us. Jacob to Israel. We all know who Israel is, right? Israel, they move to Egypt, and then it becomes God's chosen people. An entire nation out of a man that was limping because he wrestled with God. A man that, in the beginning, didn't even claim him, claim God as his own. Took the struggle, took the wrestling match to get him there. May we do the same. Can you pray for us? Father God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. The difficulties and all. Because we know the difficulties produce a, a real relationship with you. You do not promise that life will be easy. You do promise, however, that you will be with us the entire way. You do promise that you have already overcome and that when you move into our lives, when we invite you in and say, Jesus, I need you. I am so not perfect, but I need you in my life. You move in and you overcome things with us. And our faith becomes our own and our faith becomes real and authentic and genuine. But God, may we in this moment right here, may we look to your promises. The promises that you again are with us and that you will help us overcome. But may we not gloss over what it takes to get to that. May we wrestle well with you. May we go toe-to-toe -to -toe and face-to-face. -face. May we be the closest we've ever been in the moments of wrestling as we grow to become more and more like you. In your name we